0: Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to this uh, next version of uh, Trailblazers. Uh, We're doing this in a virtual manner this time. Uh, Today, I have a very distinguished guest, Missy Cummings, uh, the Professor of AI at Duke University. Um, Missy has um, been at Duke uh, for a couple of years, and and, uh, she's also the Director for humans and autonomy laboratory and Duke Robotics. Her research interests uh, include human and machine interactions, uh, human vehicle interactions, human autonomous systems, collaboration systems engineering, public policy implications of unmanned uh, vehicles and um, ethical and social impact of uh, technology. You know, one of the most fascinating things about Missy I've read off and I've, I've heard her many times, is uh, the fact that she was uh, a naval officer and a military pilot in the 90s. The first, one of the first few Navy uh, female fighter pilots. Uh, wow, what a transition, I would say. Welcome to the show, Missy, and uh, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. I always love it when I get to interact with Infosys.
0: Thank you, Missy. Thank you so much uh, for everything you do. Missy, you know, um, the most fascinating thing uh, I've read about you, and in fact, you know, I'm a nuclear engineer myself, and uh, I thought it was a leap to go to technology, but you beat all standards uh, from a fighter pilot to a professor in AI. Uh, Do you know of anybody else who has done
1: this? (laughs) Uh, No, actually, I don't. But I will tell you, and I gave an interview to The Atlantic a couple of years ago on this topic. Honestly, I don't know how people become professors without having been a fighter pilot first. (laughs) I I find that the kill or be killed attitude uh, has served me well in this job. And what inspired you to do this? Well, when I was flying, uh, especially flying fighters, um, and I did that for three years, and about 36 people died in that three years that I knew. So that's about one person a month that I knew. And in all cases, it wasn't war. uh, These were avoidable accidents. And it really came down to bad machine human interaction. People just did not understand what these planes were doing and how they were exceeding human capabilities. And so this really motivated me, all those people dying. I thought surely there has got to be a better way to design these systems and isn't anyone doing anything about this. And so that's what spurred me to go get my PhD. And then here I am. And
0: if I may ask you one last question on on fighters, which is your favorite uh, fighter?
1: Well, this is pretty tricky. Yeah, and so I mean, if I could be a pilot in any time in history, I would want to be a World War II pilot flying A seven Corsairs on carriers. I I know this is going to sound terrible, but they are really manly aircraft. I just they're big engines, and I just love big engines. Uh, I also really liked the A four because it was a very maneuverable delta wing aircraft it could do a an aileron roll one uh um, one right it's a smaller yeah, yeah you could you, you get well you could do that uh, a couple of times in one second so but in the end, um, the, the F-18 was the aircraft that taught me how to go supersonic, which is always interesting. And then, but the importance of that man-machine interaction—that's that's where I see the real leaps when we start to bring computer technology into cockpits. So they were all good, but really, I'd rather be a war or two pilot.
0: Thank you, Missy, for that uh, uh, for that personal anecdote of yours. Um, I wanted to switch gear to AI. The human autonomy laboratory which you run is probably going to redefine human and machine interactions. are going to redefine how much you could amplify the potential of humans. Where are we in that journey? Because there is so much talk about driverless cars. Uh, Actually, the AI community is kind of obsessed with driverless cars. I actually believe there are easier problems to solve versus driverless cars. I I wonder why we took the most complex one to deal with in comparison to other human machine interactions, which potentially could be much more mature and much easier to implement.
1: Well, you and I are on the same page about that. Indeed, not only are there easier problems, but I think there are many more important problems uh that we should be looking at really at the intersection of humans and machines computers technology working together i think one of the things that we're seeing in the driverless car community is that perception systems can be incredibly brittle that are powered by ai and so uh, and it's also not just in self-driving cars but there are many other domains that really seek to replace humans with AI enabled technology. And I just think we're looking at the wrong problem. I think that we really need to start thinking about human augmentation and collaboration because indeed in most sectors, business sectors, I'm actually doing a a sabbatical with Amazon Robotics this year. Amazon is never gonna replace humans outright. What we really need to do is develop better teaming strategies so that the machines can do the rote, dull, dirty, dangerous work, uh, and the humans can be left to problem solving under uncertainty.
0: In fact, uh, one of the things uh, I've been researching on is um, uh, in the future, if we really get this right between humans and machines, uh, problem solving will be an endeavor of machines and problem finding will be the endeavor of humans in many ways. So, so aptly put, but you know if i if I switch back to what you just said, which industries you believe uh, would adapt uh, AI much faster, like manufacturing or uh, mining or farming industries of that kind, which I, I I thought relatively it's much easier to do ai AI implementations in comparison to uh, the complex ones which uh, the AI communities are dealing with.
1: Well, I I think that you just hit the nail on the head. I think manufacturing, I see that, um, especially now that I've been working with Amazon Robotics, AI is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And so we need both AI uh, and also human driven systems. Mining, I've spent many years in Western Australia in the Pilbara mines. That is another area where we desperately need to have technology go in and replace some humans, but what that's done is it's moved the humans out of the iron ore pits, for example, and into these remote operation centers, which require higher levels of skill and much more nuanced and technology-enabled interaction. And so whenever I hear people start talking about, oh, robots, AI, it's gonna replace jobs, I, I tell people, no, everybody needs to relax about that. Uh, It's only going to create more jobs. And indeed, in America, you can see that uh, Amazon is like one big vacuum cleaner of companies that's vacuuming up every human it can from uh, all levels and walks of society. And indeed, you know, Amazon has a lot, uh, a lot of technology. So I think that people need to appreciate that While there is a lot of hype out there, I think that the real job creation and the real value added, and we can see it in manufacturing and mining and many other industries, will be the combination, collaboration of humans and technology.
0: Thank you, Missy, for that one. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things the health crisis has done, ironically, is um, it's uh, increased uh, digitization accelerated digitization in a big way but more importantly it's moved the world into a state of dispersion I would call it so you know in some ways we've moved moved to accelerated digitization with dispersion because work is getting dispersed work is getting disconnected from enterprises jobs are getting disconnected from work so do you believe that drone technologies would could be you know it's been in existence for a while but is this an inflection point for drone technologies because of the dispersed world we're all gonna live in even after the health
1: crisis? Well, I would say there are drone technologies in terms of maybe, you know, will we see remote delivery? Uh, And then I think there's just more generally technologies. I think COVID has really brought into sharp focus the various elements of why we need to support maybe some, what I would consider distributed working um, arrangements. Drone technologies, uh, they're making slow but sure progress, but the reason that we're not gonna see them just burst onto the scene, maybe like we saw driverless cars, There's some physical limitations. Drones can only carry so much technology. As a person who's spent way too much time flying drones in um, urban areas, high winds, they ruin the battery life. You know, there's just a lot of operational issues that make drones not probably as cutting edge as people think, except they are in manufacturing, we're seeing an increasing footprint and there'll be other technologies, um, uh, related technologies. Mapping I think is another hugely important area that drones are growing in. But I actually think more broadly COVID has taught us that we need to be more agile in terms of being able to move quickly between distributed work and locally uh, sourced work. And so what I think, what I'm hoping is that people will take these lessons learned and start to learn what, and when I say agile, I almost roll, roll my eyes internally, um, because I know it's such an overused buzzword. But, you know, even when this vaccine starts to become distributed worldwide, I think that there will be new and emerging events that might need to, that will need to make co- countries and companies Need to go back and forth between these kind of work technologies.
0: Thank you, Missy. In fact, uh, in, in in the last few weeks, uh, Infosys launched something called Applied AI to businesses, and uh, I happened to speak to one of uh, uh, one of the professors in Stanford University, Eric Brinzelson, who also works on AI, and uh, I've been talking to him for many years now. Um, one of the things uh, we, we started to believe is we have a second inflection point, uh, the first one being on consumer AI for the last uh, decade or so, and we think uh, this is an inflection point where you're going to see acceleration of AI in businesses. Um, enterprises. And that's also because the level of trust, the level of preciseness of uh, machine learning and AI algorithms has kind of started to hit that uh, point where it's uh, better than where humans were. Uh, it's, uh, you know, businesses are not as complicated as driving a car uh, on the streets, but uh, the uh, we've got to that point where we think, uh, you know, that inflection point has come for a better embrace of AI. Do you do you believe uh, we, we are at an inflection point for businesses to adapt more AI?
1: I, I do agree that we're at an inflection point for businesses to adapt AI. Uh, and I think there's a lot of confusion out there. As a professor, I see this uh, in spades, both in the classroom and with companies that I work with. You know, there AI means different things to different people and there's it ranges anywhere from very straightforward, what we would call classical rules-based AI to more connectionist approaches with neural nets. And I think the real challenge for companies going forward is how to make sure that you understand what is the right AI to introduce at the right time and at the right scale I think more broadly, at least in America, one of the big problems that I see uh, on the horizon, well, I mean, it's not even on the horizon, it's with us today, is we simply are not training enough people to reason with AI, reason about AI, uh, including testing and certification in safety critical systems like medical systems and driving, but also for business systems. Certainly financial systems uh, need to make sure that we understand securities and vulnerabilities. And so I definitely think we're at an inflection point, but along with that inflection point with the increasing need of AI, is the increasing need of people who understand AI from all levels, including entry level workforce. But also I have to tell you, I mean, I don't need to lecture you because you're very smart about AI, but most CEOs I talk to do not really, honestly, they don't have a clue. And so I'm very worried about if, if, uh, if the C-suite does not understand what they're asking people to do, that this is where I can see some problems um, uh, coming from.
0: And let's see, you know, you just this very important point of uh, skilling. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a, a notion that AI will take away jobs of the past, but there's also an equally uh, popular notion that AI will create more jobs of the future. Uh, but nobody knows how to create that bridge and reskilling. And is this also an opportunity for us to bridge the inclusivity and diversity divide which we have created in digital, uh, digital skills?
1: I could not agree more that the need to start addressing, you know, we we talk about reskilling, upskilling, but I think in a lot of cases it's new skilling. The the digital landscape is with us forever. We will never go back to an area where we won't need people who are uh, at least conversant, if not deeply knowledgeable about AI, Digital security, cyber physical systems, you know, these things all come together. Uh, at least in America, I'm a, I've been a big advocate for making all computer science degrees in community colleges free. We should open the doors to everyone, and this gets at the need for diversity. Uh, recently, I gave a talk about look, I, we appreciate that there's gender diversity and racial diversity, but I also think that there's important a uh, background diversity that includes bringing people in from rural areas. There's a, there's a diversity of geographic location and, and you will find that people from different backgrounds are going to bring new ideas. And if you continue to, to just build a homogenous workforce of whatever that background is, it's not smart business sense. So I think we do need to work harder in this country, Uh, I think other countries have done a better job, but even there, we need to reach further into particularly rural communities uh, to get that strength of diversity in thought.
0: Thank you, Missy. That's so well said. Uh, In fact, um, uh, I wanted to squeeze in one last question for you, and this is a compelling one. Uh, I hear this from CXOs. The CXOs who know AI pretty well, are testing and and building hypotheses around it. Um, you know, making it responsible, you know, you you spoke about um, discovering more use cases, scaling AI in enterprises, but making it responsible is equally important, and data comes with a big bias, past data comes with a big bias, and uh, nobody knows how to take the bias out. Uh, it's an evolving science. Uh, any Any quick thoughts or views about it?
1: I do think that trying to understand sources of bias, and I've written extensively on this, and AI is hugely important. The bias comes from the people who create the algorithms, the people who test the algorithms, and then the people who interpret the algorithms. And so, and that's in addition to the bias that maybe can creep in into the data sets that you select. And so I think, my biggest concern is that we're not training and of course this falls on me and other professors we're not training people how to be critical deconstructionist thinkers about going after the subjectivity and I think it's hard because we as professionals we don't we do, we want to say there's no there's no subjectivity in my data or modeling process but the answer is there is and there is in every model out there and so I think that we need to spend more time working on teams to actually identify and, you know, you'll never get away from it, but you can at least mitigate it.
0: Thank you, Missy. That was so wonderful. Uh, such a great conversation. I can, I can go on for hours on this and, um, you know, thank you so much for being a futurist, actually a realist as well. You're an AI realist in many ways. <laughs> and, uh, thank you for inspiring all of us. Uh, and, uh, and thank you for, for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me. I always love to interact with Infosys friends.
0: Thank you.